Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, DJ Patel. Today's topic, a data scientist turned investor talks about technology, marketing, and public policy. Now, DJ started his career in the Defense Department and as a teacher at the University of Maryland. Go Terps and fear the turtle. I feel I must, I, I just must say that fear the turtle is just too great. Um, and he went on to leaders, uh, leadership uh, analytics positions at eBay and LinkedIn. And he followed that with a stint as the chief data scientist for the United States of America, not a small job. He's also a senior fellow at Harvard, assisted the Biden administration transition team, and he's currently an advisor and investor in several companies. Full disclosure, we worked together at eBay, where DJ shared some of the analytical work he was doing across the world, and I felt like I was sitting in the middle of the movie Minority Report. Uh, welcome, DJ. It is great to see you. Uh, it is awesome to always hang out. Excellent. So first question, DJ, give us a brief overview of data science and what it really looks like in the wild. Yeah, well, data science is this, you know, we're about 10 years actually in when Tom Davenport and I wrote this article uh, for Harvard Business Review, really arguing kind of like based on Star Trek, like, you know, Captain Kirk always has Spock on the bridge. Who's that kind of key nerd exactly? Like who's that key nerd on the bridge or in the equivalent of the boardroom to help some, the, the executive team, the board, think about the most challenging hard problems of the day. That really in a nutshell is the compassing of what data science is. It's the bringing all this data that we have internally to an organization, external data, being able to bring it together, put it together in a useful form, for a couple different purposes. One purpose is to help understand the knobs and levers of the business so you can be more efficient, be better at executing. Another is actually how to take that, the, that data and turn it into actual products, recommendation systems, people who bought this, bought this, people you may know on social media sites. And then there's a whole slew of other things of using data in this clever way where you bring data, computation, cloud, all of this together, even AI now, to serve purposes such as finding fraudsters, being able to leverage and get new ways to do marketing efficiently and help on sales channels with everything from who to target, how to think about it, as well as sales team management. That's awesome. So what are the biggest, and I assume this could never have worked until, until we really had all the computing power we have now, but so when you look forward, what are the biggest analytical and data issues on the horizon for business in general? And and also the difference between theory and application here, I think is probably super important to our listeners. Yeah. I mean, the biggest one that we still see net is it's still really hard 
to get this data in a usable form inside organizations. And a lot of it actually fundamentally is less technical and more cultural because what you have is you often have this data team that's in the back office, way separated from people. With and the precogs, with the precogs, the precogs or, yeah. you know, they're like, they're, they don't even, they never, they don't even know what the problem that you're asking is. Somebody from the executive suite says, we've got a question. You kind of run down the hallway through in the basement, find these nerds. And then you're like, Hey, we got this question. They go, I don't think that's a question you want. And then they, they turn around, they turn, they give you, you're like, just give me the answer. You give the answer. And then of course the team's frustrated. So what we found, one of the most important things is to pull those people up into the organizational leadership to give them exposure so they can actually solve the real problem. I mean, Mike, you and I were doing this at, at eBay yeah. time. It yeah. was like, we were like, we were talking about the problems you were facing. I was trying to think, how could we solve these things? I had context. So now I could take a team with the right skills the right ability to bring in that data, put it together, and then be able to actually build something or answer a set of questions that would might normally be off the table. Yeah, look, and, and that was super helpful to me. We used it when we were building eBay Bucks, which is a loyalty program and predictive models on, on retention. So, so, uh, so your 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 kind of recommendation here is bring the data scientists out yeah. and put them next to the business. But don't let them leave the data science function, right? Is that what That's I That's right. That's right. You still need them wet in there. There's a couple other things that are in there. One is I think that a lot of times organizations, especially large organizations, they try to go all in in a very aggressive, giant data strategy. That's it's, it's, it's incredibly expensive. And what I really encourage people to do is to try to, you know, do the crawl, walk, run approach. Test it out. See if you can get a few things going. Try the different technologies out there. And, and one of the things that I often find is, is people are like, they're looking for one universal technology, the technical solution to be able to just answer basic questions. Rather than the approach I kind of talk about is, is think of this like a plumber. If a plumber shows up, you, they don't show up with one tool. They show up with a whole toolbox. And so you have to ask yourself what problem you're solving and what tools are there. One of the things that we find in this is a lot of the technology is very, very fast evolving. And so you have to be ready to invest in something, whether it's a database or MapReduce or one of the new forms of technology that are su supporting AI solutions. Those things are going to iterate and you're going to have to be ready to test them, try them, potentially throw them away and, and, and get used to this idea of playing with the data as you get as, as you try to lift all boats. And then the final one I would add, what we see is one of the most important things I think an organization can do is have their data meeting not be a decision making. Separate decisions from data. And that because what you often find is data gets weaponized in a company. One team says, I found this. Another team says, I found this, you're wrong. And you kind of go at it. When you have a data meeting, and you actually, everyone sits around and says, look, all we're going to do is discuss the data. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get outcomes. And then we're going to try to understand what's happening. Decisions from that data happen in a separate, literally in a separate meeting. I totally agree with this. I totally agree because a lot of times you want that data to sit with you too. And, and then you are going to ask 
second and third questions on the data versus just use it to answer the question of the moment. That's um, right. So, so I, I hear you saying, one, small is like focus is better than broad and have a use case for the data. Don't just say, I want to invest in a lot of data. Can you flip this over now and talk about marketing and ad agencies here? How should they be thinking about this data? A lot of the data is inside the company, obviously a bunch of the agencies and, you know, uh, you know, all the, a lot of the media companies have data as well. Tell, tell marketers and ad folks out here listening to this, how should they be thinking about this? Yeah. So one of the things I try to emphasize to people is clever beats smart nine times out of 10. What What's clever? Like clever is like you found a way to combine a bunch of different data sets. You found sort of like an interesting way to approach it and to get an aha moment that you're like, whoa, once you figure that out, now you can bring the much deeper, richer technical solutions to ask, how can you scale things? One of the things I think that is really important for marketers is to, to really engage with the data question. Like Mike, you and I are kind of example of this. So like a lot of marketers I find are like, whoa, 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 data, afraid of that. Or they have a data partner who only speaks in math and numbers and is not willing to help bridge the gap. So you have a cultural, how do we communicate conversation? Like how do we actually make that work? And then for the marketers, one of the most exciting things that's out there is there are very big heavyweight analytic solutions, but a lot of what startups have figured out is it's easier to sell and work with the marketers. And so one of the things that's there is there's a lot more off the shelf components that you can do where you can bring in data from external sources, your internal sources, you, but you need, you need to find a way to get that prioritized because a lot of time engineering or other organizations want to hold on to that data and prevent you from being able to have to be in control of your own destiny. And so you need to be to have that assets in your own environment effectively to bring it together so that you can then start playing with this. And some of the most powerful teams I see are the data scientists who are connected right next to the marketers and they're willing to really have this really great creative relationship to ask how can we get an advantage here? And I think that one of the things that we're seeing is a new form of data scientists who actually are technically savvy marketing kind of people. And I encourage people to really build out that level of talent. I, I think this is a, a great point for the listeners, which is, one, you don't want your marketers acting like data is a thing they buy. It's a thing they use. And I, I, I love the clever beat smart uh, concept because you're trying to figure out a way to get to understand what's really happening and why it's happening, not just what is happening, but why. And when we were together, there was a lot of, all right, why is this occurring and what can we do about it versus what is it? Because everybody can see what it is. And then I, I think the other thing that is, so the marketer has to, has to really get into it. And then if the data scientists are part of the team and interested in the team and get the marketplace, the speed of the analytics and the speed of Clever really pick up um, right. and, and do you let when when you look at companies is is it a best practice to let the your agencies in to the company data obviously with safeguards and everything else so they understand what's going on or not 
I generally don't um, um, bringing the agency. Like what, what, when you say agency, do you mean the data agency or do you mean the marketing agency? Uh, the marketing agency. So yeah. let's say I got a big, I got my creative, I got my media house, I got my search company. Right. I got everybody buying all this stuff. Do I do I let them in to look at a lot? Of, I mean, obviously, I share the reports with them, but do I give them any kind of limited access to this so they can play with it? So what I would do is I'd bring them into that data meeting. So you're having a discussion and then figure out what the right dynamics actually are going to be to bringing them into the data, into your own environment. A lot of times the outside agencies don't have the sophistication or the data teams to be able to blend your data together. True. And so you have to think about it as how do we actually create a hybrid team to go after these things? It's kind of the same thing as if you had an outside development organization and your organization's internal dev team, you really have to think about how are they going to work together to actually produce the code in a way that's not going to just conflict with each other. Let me give you a, actually a concrete example Excellent. that might help see this. Like in the early days of LinkedIn, one of the big questions was, should we go into Australia as a country next, or should we go into France? And if you looked at the adoption numbers, you'd say Australia. Yeah. And one of the things that we said is like, do we actually, like what's going on here? To your point, exactly, Mike, like what's really going, what's behind this? So we actually got external data from uh, a census, kind of equivalent of census information, economic data, jobs data, all this kind of stuff. We put it together to try to say, what what is the population? Are we hitting white collar, blue collar? What are the segments? And the answer definitively was we should go into Australia. So you know what we did? We went into <laughs> France. And why is that? Because is that, we are all human. We have developed rubrics. We have developed intuition. And sometimes you have to know when to exactly say, the data, we have to go with our hunch. We have to go with our different intuition. We had a competitor in, in France and we knew we just needed to end around them very quickly to be able to, to really try to, to, to we, had to, we had to hit them off at the pass. That like, what I tell people is like, well, now the question is when we made that decision, what we did very cleverly was we said, we are going to watch and monitor this like so closely, we are making this an experiment and we are testing it and iterating. We're not just going all in and yep. rejecting that. And that allowed us to build it out. It turned out to be the right decision. And it allowed us to know when could we then say, great, we've got enough for France. Now go full steam for Australia. And how do we let go all in on it? That makes perfect sense because the data said Australia, Australia, massive country like France in terms of population and let someone get a, a, a huge foothold in, right. in there for Europe. And and so I think that's the, the also- And the data meeting- Really the, good, yeah. The data meeting for this, separate from the decision-making, allowed us all to have really good information. Everyone felt heard. Everyone was like, yep, Every, and everyone heard this strategy analysis too. And we all kind of then in the decision meeting, we're like, yeah, we've got the data, but even myself as the chief data scientist guy, uh, uh, there was like, hey, I'm all in on France here. I'm like, I know the data, but I think our hunch is correct. We got to go this way. That's a that's a really good story. Thank you for sharing that. Let's, we, let's shift over. I, we have to talk about AI because um, everyone's talking about AI. 
tell me your thoughts on this uh, about business in general and marketing and and then you've already talked about practical investments like drain the whole ai question along all those three things given the, sure. the platform you've just set yeah so here's how like I, I mean a version of this is we've been doing various forms of ai for a long time whether yeah. you call it machine learning natural language processing there's been a ton of this you know you think about the recommendation systems you see on linkedin facebook amazon wherever eBay, they're all forms of this. What is really exciting right now is we're seeing a new set of technologies break out and be able to, to be able to be directly applicable. None of the ones that we often think about is these large language models, chat GPTS thing, create creative content. Here's the way that I'm going to be very unpopular in saying this is <laughs> this is like a time and an opportunity to experiment and test. A lot of this technology is very exciting, but would I bet all in on it right now? No, but I'm. I think there are avenues where if you if we look in two years to five years, we will be in a radically different place. And so, one of the things that I'm doing with my organizations and others is to really ask if we were to rebuild this in two years, where we think the technology is going to be, how radically different would it be? And so what I look for is how can I solve stupid, boring problems? Where are those problems where I'm like, gee, this sucks. Could I do this? So I'll just give you a quick example on this. Like there's a lot of time customer service has a whole repository of information. A lot. A lot, right? Tons. And then, you know, you sit there on hold while you're waiting for the person, frustrated because you've been on queue for already for an hour. And they're like, I'm trying to it's find all Comcast and Spectrum. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's infuriating. The large language models are unbelievably good at synthesizing the information. And even though there may be hallucinations or other things, a good trained person can identify those in that context. And so you don't need this. You can take that giant thing and no longer have search. You can have it as much more as an augmentive process to support somebody. I think we're gonna see a lot more creative as we come up with, with um, image generation, design. All the, all, all the programmatic stuff and everything else feels Exactly, like so it's an augmentation. People are trying to replace straight out of the box. I think that is a mistake. I think I would go all in on how can I augment? And what, here's the most important thing. This is the most important thing I can emphasize to listeners. Just like we saw, Pre-cloud versus post-cloud, pre-mobile, post-mobile. Like you, Mike and I, you and I live this in the mobile environments and, and also the cloud environments. You have to get your organization to start playing with this technology. Because practice is important. Practice yeah. is really important. And we had that we had the head of the uh marketing AI Institute on who said the exact same thing, which is don't just go invest in AI invest in an outcome and in something to practice with. Yeah. I'll so. give you an example of one I give. I just gave the other day. I said, hey, team, everyone has a homework assignment using AI every week now. So I said, like, we're going to go design a challenge coin. Everyone has to design a challenge coin. You can use whatever you want, whatever systems. I don't care. You can build your own large language model, do whatever generative AI technique you want. I don't care. Just go try this and we're going to compare notes. Because we get to see how each other are doing it, we're like, whoa, 
This is the same exact thing that happened at eBay, Facebook, LinkedIn, where everyone said in mobile environments said, you know what? You can't use this site as an executive or anybody in the company. You have to use this on the mobile phone. You have to use it on the tablet so that you understand where the technology can benefit, where the problems are, and really then get a sense for what is coming with this tech. I, I totally support this. And, and also, it makes you be a user instead of a buyer. Um, exactly. Well hey, so, so, DJ, you worked in the Obama administration as the chief data scientist. I want a name like that, like chief data scientist or chief marketing scientist or something. Tell us about that position and how it impacts your thinking today. Yeah. So one of the things that I've had a great, you know, good fortune and really, you know, emerged out of a tough time as after 9-11, I had the opportunity to kind of kind of come into the Bush administration to take my skills and try to apply. And this is where a lot of that original data science came from is a lot of us were trying to connect the dots, the signal and the noise to understand threats against U.S. interests. You know, the 9-11 one was how come we missed the signal that there was a bunch of people trying to take flights and tests and, right. and stuff just didn't make sense. You know, all you know documented in the commission report. Fast forward, you know, what I think President Obama got to see during his campaign was how analytics, marketing, <laughs> acutely. It, it's massive marketing. Like yeah. marketing and targeted ability to do grassroots efforts that created groundswell. And he saw that and he saw as the administration was going on was like, wow, technology is really changing. This data science thing is becoming a thing. And his view was who is going to advise the presidency, every president going forward, that there should be that Spock on the bridge. Who is that Spock on the bridge for the president? Now there is a chief scientist per se, but there's another angle that needs to be the chief data scientist. And so President Obama asked uh, me to help craft that role with Todd Park, the former CTO, and sort of say, what would that look like? And we had this very simple mission statement to responsibly unleash the power of data to benefit all Americans. And the two words that were extremely carefully chosen is the word responsibly and all Americans. Yeah. So what are what are problems that that's that sort of fit in that mold? Healthcare. How do we enter a world of truly tailored genomic treatments? You and I are both wearing glasses right now. They are yeah, I've been wearing them since I was like four. <laughs> yeah, same. Like, they're customized. They're tailored for us. Yeah. When we go get a pharmaceutical, it really isn't. Especially that's a good, really good point. Yeah. That that's embarrassing at this point of of, of where we are and being able to decode the human genome. So how do we make that happen? So President Obama kicked off an initiative called the Precision Medicine Initiative, and that followed on with the Cancer Moonshot. And the underpinning of all of that is how do we build the largest data set of, of people, their medical outcomes, their health records, what drugs they're taking, drug interactions, all of that done in a responsible way so we can make sure that we are going to really power the next generation of medical. Other things that we did is how do we think about community policing? When you think about body cameras, who has access to the body cameras? Who pays for the over the wire, the, the internet kind of costs of that to, for that data? How do we deal with deep fakes? What if children are in those, those videos? How do, you, how do you think about the permissions of that? What about all these other aspects? 
So we work on things like that as well. And then there was a whole slew of national security applications that are just similar follow-on from our work uh, post-9-11. It sounds like a great set of problems to work on. I mean, it, uh, it, sounds, it, like, it well, sounds like hard, but fun. It is fun. It is. It is. I will tell you, it is extraordinarily stressful. It's not a very big team uh, that that kind of drives a lot of this at, at, at the White House. And one of the things that I think we've seen over and over again is that data can be the force multiplier for for solutions like the criminal justice community policing one. Can, can, I, can I just follow on one second? It can yeah. be the force multiplier in a good way and a bad way, right? That's right. Absolutely. So I, I think this is, yes, I think this so, is really great. This is why responsibly is so critical in this mission statement. Just because we can doesn't mean we always should. And then for the marketers out there, right, there's a real question about data brokers and what they're able to collect. And one of the things that I highlight to people is around the notion of data ethics. And we kicked off a whole big effort around this that's now become, you know, sort of a bigger movement around the whole question around AI and all of this, fair, accountable, transparent, all these things. But the biggest one I would tell people is when we got people across the country and I talked to data scientists actually from all over the world, the best thing I can say is think of this data as your kid's data. Treat it like the golden rule. Treat the data as if it was your own family's data. What would you like to see happen? How would you like to see that data merge? What is there? And we've seen the FTC has a report that Congress has yet to act on, but I suspect more will happen around AI, which says, hey, the way data brokerages work, the data that's being aggregated, what I can tell about you is really concerning. People are most often concerned about national security applications. I tell people all the time, like the thing you should be really worried about is what is sitting hidden from you that may impact your outcomes. And we've seen time and time again, bias on different reporting systems, you know, like loans for for, uh, black people has been shown acutely to be racist. And when you're just having any data discussion in a room, if, if people are only bringing the data that supports their point, that ha- this happens all the time. All the time. All the time. The only way I found to get around this, honestly, is to bring people into the room of those who are in, in, uh, impacted. This is actually a lesson President Obama really hammered into me. When we were working on these problems, and I, I mean, I, literally the last thing you want to do is have your ass handed to you in the Oval Office by the President of the United States. And he was saying, like, are you bringing people in who are going to be impacted by persimmon? I said, yes, we have these groups who represent cancer, kidney disease, all these other things. Like, what about the people? What about the actual people? And when we went and we got those people to the table and talked to them, we really suddenly realized, like, how off the mark we were. And this is where marketers go wrong. So many times when I see that, like, I, I get called on something and it's like, Yep. Guess what organization screwed up something? They didn't actually include anybody that were like, hey, did you talk to them? No, this is, well, I mean, in the end, you have to know your consumer. You can't just know your concept. And the the ability for the concept to meet the consumer, a lot of companies miss that because they fall in love with the concept. Exactly. I know we are going to run out of time because we, we so I'm going to already ask you to come back on the show if, Anytime. If, you, if you will do that. I, I do want to talk a little bit about 
So if your business, I, I, I want to, I want to finish up on the government and the like. How should marketers be thinking about this public policy thing, AI? What's the best way to do this? Should companies be taking a stand on, on these issues or not? In your opinion, just take all those things I just yeah. said, and talk yeah. about whatever you want. So I think, like, if you take the stance, you start with the premise that treat this data like it was your own family's data. Now, are you okay if you went through that data set and you realize your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your cousins, they are in that data set? Yeah, your CMO, confidential producer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if that data is in there, and how do you get it? That is a litmus. Almost everything, honestly, else will work out. There are places I absolutely think that we do need to take a stand on data. Just because we can, as I said, doesn't mean we should. Because what is What's happening- the best example of that? What's the best example of where you would take a stand? So I did publicly take a stand on this. For example, during the Trump administration, I, I served on one of uh, President Trump's commissions on national security and actually resigned in protest around this portion of it which was they wanted states to bring in all this data around voter electoral that and they just wanted to bring it in i said hey there's no way the white house is capable from a technical perspective of keeping that data safe and how are you going to do it and i said any data scientist who is bringing this data in and together that is an unethical use of data because it has not been appropriately, we haven't had a process to go think about it. I'll give you another specific one, the DACA database. I that wish you is, had some, I wish you had some passion about this, DJ. Oh, just a little yeah. bit. Okay, the DACA database. The DACA database was used originally as a database under the law to be able to say, hey, we don't, we don't, should not. Uh, uh, kick these people out of the country. These are people, kids who were brought to the country. They have no choice in this. There should be off limits. That database was then weaponized to go after people. Same way, I'll give you another example, but it, more concrete industry. There was a, there's a number of organizations are out there who are collecting data to sell it to pharma companies. I think it is totally acceptable to figure out how do we make sure that people are in good clinical trials, how people are able to access the type of pharmaceuticals that will help them. What is not acceptable is when we do large dredging operations and people are surprised when their data is actually in that data set, when there's a data breach and then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, wait, whoa, my kid's data was being used to, to, to market? That's when people are like, oh my gosh. But if you oh, keep- it's like a it's like a black mirror episode. That's so right. hey, so so we will bring you back on the show for sure because I have a whole list of questions I haven't even touched. But what what I'd love to do is quick story, either funniest data story or practical advice we haven't talked about today that you want to you want to close the show with. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you the the my favorite one, Mike, and you saw this. This is the output. We had uh, one intern and one other sort of uh, technologist at PayPal. And we were like, hey, you know what? Why can't we just see the networks of how people connect and interact with buying things? Where do they, they use their PayPal accounts? Who do they interact with on, on eBay? And so we created these network graphs and they, we kind of would look at them. And we noticed that some were really clean. They were like too pristine and a lot of, most of them were messy. And we realized, oh, 
It's the clean ones that are fraudsters yeah. because you can't fake the messiness of life. So all we literally did, this is Clever Beat Smart, is we took those images, literally the images, sent them out to people in the company and said, here's 10, give us a thumbs up, thumbs down if you think it's fraud. And these are the people in the company who are good at understanding fraud. We then took that and then we just ran it in the background. We create these images off these networks and just run it in the background. And that's how we crushed out a huge portion of the fraud rate. Which was super helpful to the company. So I think that is a great use of data to finish with. And thank you, DJ, for being on the show. We'll absolutely bring you back because we have a lot more to talk about. And, you know, also data is advancing so fast. You're going to want to go back to the bridge of the USS Enterprise and discuss it. Um, and thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for more of our shows on Evergreen, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, which include a report from the front lines of artificial intelligence, what your agency wants to tell you but won't, parts one and two, what I learned as New York City's first ever CMO under Michael Bloomberg, and an experienced CEO talks about marketing, measurement, and the future. Um, hey, all you marketers, be safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.